I would say that there was a sea change in 2016 after I left the legislature. A lot of people woke up to the racial reality of a lot of Americans and Vermonters. Now I feel that I have the wind at my back to advance racial, economic, and social justice issues. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Keisha Rahm is used to breaking barriers. At the age of 34, she already has an impressive list of firsts. She was elected to the Vermont House of Representatives in 2008 at the age of 22, making her the youngest member of the House at that time. Earlier this month, she was elected to be a state senator from Chittenden County, Vermont's most populous county. Ram, who was born to an Indian father and Jewish-American mother, will become the first woman of color to serve in the Vermont State Senate. Keisha Rahm grew up in California and then attended the University of Vermont, where she was elected president of the student body. She graduated from UVM in May 2008 and was elected state representative six months later, becoming the youngest legislator in the country at that time. We talked about her trailblazing journey. Keisha Rahm, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's great to be here. So congratulations on your election. You are now the first woman of color to serve in the Vermont Senate in a state that is 94% white. Do you feel a responsibility that perhaps your colleagues in the legislature don't feel? Yeah, you know, I always wait to hear what the question is going to be after people drop that information that I am the first woman of color in the state Senate in Vermont. Um, Sometimes it's head scratching. Really, it's taken us this long. You know, other times it's congratulations and other times it's congratulations. Um, Because not only will I be the first woman of color in the state Senate, but with some retirements in the House, um, I'll be one of the only people who identify as a woman of color in the legislature at all. Um, As folks may remember, we lost Kaya Morris to experiences of harassment and hostility, uh, largely racially motivated. And uh, we just lost Deanna Gonzalez to life circumstances and needing to focus on other things. And so, you know, I do, to answer your question directly, I see it as a great responsibility, um, but also just a way to help other legislators understand that we are not monolithic communities. Um, You know, I may be able to help be a trusted conduit and channel for, uh, you know, Black social justice advocates or Indigenous leaders, you know, or a number of people who have a different lived experience than I do. But it's that cultural humility that I think is really critical uh, and something I want to help other legislators build to be able to say, is there a different way to hear and receive feedback? Is there a different way we can engage in the legislative process that doesn't exhaust and emotionally drain people who've been historically marginalized and left out of the conversation? So since you already have experience serving in the legislature, you're elected in 2009 and served till 2016. Um, So you already have that experience of being uh, a minority voice in a majority white body. What was that like for you? You know, I, I actually, this is one place where your listeners might not like to hear this, but I do give credit to Donald Trump. Um, and that's because I introduced a lot of the same legislation that I'm going back to introduce now 
reducing the use of suspension and expulsion uh, as behavioral tools in schools, independent investigation into police use of force, heck, even Indigenous Peoples Day over Christopher Columbus Day. And most of those things were completely dead on arrival. They were called solutions in search of problems. Um, nobody felt like we had any racial justice issues in Vermont. Um, and so, you know, I found myself really swimming against the current. Um, and I would say that there was a sea change in 2016 after I left the legislature. A lot of people woke up to the racial reality of a lot of Americans and Vermonters. Um, you know, I will also sadly credit the departure of Kaya Morris with people saying this isn't just a national problem. This isn't something we can condemn and fight against in Washington, but ignore here in Vermont. Now I feel that I have the wind at my back to advance racial, economic, and social justice issues. Um, you know, actually for me, one of my lifelong passions has been environmental justice. And we are one of the only states left in the country that has no environmental justice framework in our policies. So that will be a major focus for me. And I hope others uh, see coming out of a pandemic that there are communities and populations much more deeply affected because of existing health issues related to indoor air quality, experiences with asthma, workplace health experiences. So, you know, that is something um, that's near and dear to me that I hope to work on on day one. So in the course of the campaign, there were some, this was an unprecedented, in many ways, era of campaigning. First, there's COVID forcing the transformation of the way everybody has campaigned in the past into a different footing, a different venues. And then there was the Black Lives Matter movement becoming front and center starting in, uh, I guess it was May, uh, and continuing till today. How did both of those things change your campaign or become part of your campaign? Yeah, I mean, both profoundly and personally affected me and then affected my campaign experience. So, you know, first of all, um, I do feel that I benefited politically in a uh, pandemic environment campaigning just because I, I have name recognition, I have run for office before. I did feel some uh, sympathy and a little bit of empathy, you know, if I can, for candidates who thought they could outwork uh, more well-known folks. So, you know, I would say um, that it's a horrible thing to experience, but that the pandemic was not a barrier for me politically. It was, however, you know, a great personal setback. I was unwell in April. I had a very botched test um, and not because of the medical establishment's fault, but I, I won't go into the details, but it was very hard to know what was wrong with me in April. Both of my parents were, I'm sorry, my grandparents were uh, positive for COVID-19. My grandmother just has gotten out of the hospital for the fifth time from COVID complications and infections. And so um, it was very much a personal experience of the pandemic and realizing that I had to compartmentalize that trauma gap, that uh, experience in the pandemic of having real health impacts to myself and my family while other people were kind of thinking, what do I do to be helpful? And now I'm spending more time in my garden. You know, this pandemic has really been a challenge 
of who is, you know, stretched to the max and unable to kind of absorb more information and who is relatively unscathed coming out of this. Um, and I'm really grateful to be in Vermont where we got to see some really uh, nonpartisan and public health-based leadership. Uh, and I hope to continue to advance that. And at the same time, a lot of my campaign focus both because of the pandemic and because of the moment of racial unrest that we're in, became about checking in on people, their well-being, their feelings of isolation. Um, you know, for a lot of BIPOC Vermonters and Americans, experiencing this moment in isolation where all you have is your social media or your phone um, is, is very, um, has a huge impact on one's mental health and well-being. Uh, so there's been a lot more attention to black and brown people's mental health supports and access to mental health care. Um, and, you know, I would just say the one heartening thing for me as well is that when a lot of my, you know, white colleagues and allies and supporters didn't know what else to do after George Floyd was murdered by three police officers and um, people watched um, for eight minutes and 46 seconds, a lot of people reached out to me, donations started coming in and they just said, I don't know what else to do, but I know that I can support the first woman of color to serve in the state Senate. And that feels like something. Um, and I was able to turn around and use that money to pay the only black campaign manager in the state, um, you know, to do a lot of things that helped me advance racial justice in the communities that I'm engaged in. And, and that was, you know, the one thing I could do in the middle of an intense moment. You first ran for office um, at the age of 22. You just graduated UVM. You were the student body president. So that was 12 years ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, time flies. How have you changed in the, uh, in the race you ran as a 22-year-old versus the race you ran as a 34-year-old? You know, David, the, the funny thing that's come up for me today is I was just asking the Vermont Folklife Center if I could have some CDs of the stories of past legislators uh, who had served. And they said, well, we don't really have a lot of CDs left. We do have podcasts and <laughs> things like that. And I thought, my gosh, I'm starting to feel old. What's happening? Um, but, you know, I am, I think being youngest is a, is a crown and a mantle that I'm super happy to pass on as quickly as possible. Um, we should have more young people engaged in the process. And I, at 34, should not be considered young. Um, you know, there are people who've grown up with markedly different crises that they've lived through and impacts through their high school and college years um, and have different financial circumstances and life horizons that need to be represented in the legislature. Uh, I think we have I would love to see the numbers on this and, and work with somebody to, to pull them together. But I believe the average age in the legislature has dropped significantly this year. And I'm now in a cohort of incoming legislators where many of them have young kids, uh, where they're teaching me how to get on certain, certain social media platforms. And the legislature is going to be so much richer for their life experiences and the ability to have that diversity of age and generation in the bodies. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited that the Senate is obviously a little smaller and, and more hallowed and it takes a little longer to get there. Um, but I won't even be the youngest there. I actually work closely with Senator Cory Parent, who's a Republican, 
Um, and we've already talked about the kind of work we can do to support young Vermonters when I get there. So I've always wanted to work with whoever will work with me regardless of their age uh, or political persuasion. And I just look forward to bringing that energy back to the state house. So for people who don't know you, um, tell us a little bit about your backstory, where you grew up and what brought you to Vermont. Yeah. So, so my uh, Indian immigrant father and my Jewish American mother ran an Irish pub in Los Angeles. Uh, that's about as quick and simple as I can make my life story. And the upshot of all of that was, you know, I really saw what it was like to, uh, to pitch in in the family business, to work really hard, um, often against a lot of currents when you're running a restaurant. Um, and, and I am today in touch with the, the restaurant coalition in Vermont and a lot of restaurateurs and small businesses about their needs in the pandemic, um, because although my family never faced something as, uh, as threatening to the very existence of their business as all of that, um, you know, my father eventually did lose the restaurant and that marked our entire life, you know, how, um, and, and even when they started the business, uh, you know, my mother had to get the loan because they wouldn't give a loan to an immigrant. So my mother went to the Women's Bank of Los Angeles to open their, their restaurant. And, you know, I think a lot about access to capital and how we're going to all survive this pandemic and the real um, threatening nature of this pandemic to businesses uh, because it also takes a deep toll on their families. All employees, employers, and business owners, whether they're sole proprietors or self-employed, um, all want to go home with dignity you know, to their families and make sure that they can get their families through this crisis, get them through school, put food on the table. And, you know, that's an experience that I know well. And I also know how government can be helpful. I grew up, you know, after we lost the restaurant on how, the- How did you lose the restaurant? What, what resulted in that? Yeah, you know, that's the other kind of side of the story that is harder to tell. Um, but my mother was the one with the MBA. You know, she was the one um, who had the kind of back end knowledge of how to run the business. My father was a real genius with fusion food and making Indian food and Italian food and Irish food in the same was restaurant. He, was he a first generation immigrant? He was, he grew up in the part of India that became Pakistan. Um, so he came to UCLA and met my mother and never finished his engineering degree, which is blasphemous in Indian culture. Um, but she, when she didn't feel like she was being treated like an equal in the business and in their marriage, she left. And she struggled as a single mom raising the three of us. Um, and my father kind of struggled as an immigrant business owner, um, trusting the wrong people, having people dismiss him because of his accent. And eventually um, he, he went bankrupt and, and lost the restaurant to the bank. And my mother was you know, providing for all of us. She had two master's degrees, but really couldn't find a job flexible enough to raise three kids. And we went through some really difficult periods where you know, I was on the free lunch program, um, but at the same time, knowing that I was on the free lunch program from my father meant that I could get access to um, take the SATs and apply to college for free. And that you know, is, is a big reason you know, that I ended up at UVM and I'm where I am today um, is because government did put some stepping stones in place so that I didn't fall through the cracks. And 
my goal is to turn around and make sure other kids don't fall through the cracks who need that support as well. Hmm. And you lived in California. What made you decide to cross the country to snowy Vermont? You know, I feel like I used to be asked that question every day. And then at some point with the floods and fires and the pandemic experience in California, people have kind of stopped asking me why I left. Um, You know, as much as I love California and will always have a a sense of place in the wilderness and on the beaches there, uh, I really found a deep sense of community in Vermont and that people take care of each other here through uh, challenges like a pandemic or a natural disaster. And I didn't quite find that same uh, culture of community growing up in a huge state like California. Um, I also thought to myself, I don't know why people would spend so much of their life in traffic. Um, And so my options at the time that I chose for myself were Alaska, British Columbia, and New England. And uh, I, I let go of some other great offers. But for me, I found this body of water called Lake Champlain, where I could watch the sunset. And, you know, this kind of Berkeley-esque feeling uh, in Burlington. And I thought, oh, I, I found the West Coast of New England and have been incredibly happy ever since. And as some folks know, probably not most of your listeners, um, the weekend after my uh, successful primary win in the Senate race, um, I got engaged to um, my fiance, Jacob Hinsdale, who grew up on a dairy farm in Charlotte, Vermont. So, you know, I do feel more welcomed into the, into the circle. I'm not going anywhere now and people don't need to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) What did that experience of being on the free lunch program of needing to be on public assistance for your family to survive? How did that affect you? How does it continue to affect how you see the world? You know, what I remember most of all is that my mother was embarrassed when I told her that I was on the free lunch program. I was really happy. I mean, you know, California has some pluses and we have a great farm to school program in California. A lot of the food back then, maybe ahead of its time in Santa Monica, um, what came directly from local farms, it was all fresh produce. I was a vegan at the time, so I was in heaven. And I really fought to reduce the stigma around school lunches, which we're fighting today still in Vermont. Um, but my mother just thought we're not those kind of people. We, we don't need help. We don't take help. Um, and, and it embarrassed her that I was a free lunch kid. So I think that stigma runs deep within our families. And that, that is something that I also hope to break so that people are more comfortable talking about using the supports available to create pathways out of poverty or accessing mental health services or whatever it is in our culture that there's stigma around, uh, we need to break it. And we need to make sure that kids get what they need regardless of how we as adults feel about it. And in fact, we should just have more universal programs like universal school meals so that everyone just gets food at school. And it's not a question of, you know, are you poor or uh, disadvantaged? What are the key issues that you hope to advance in the state in the state Senate? I see the Senate as a little bit different than the House. Um, I'm sure Senate, other senators would agree, but you know, it's it's 30 people, and you're a little bit closer to the administration. Um, you know, a little bit more, fewer colleagues to sort of deal with, and um, 
I think that gives you the opportunity to really change the conversation more quickly and hopefully get resources in for pilot projects and to create proof of concept. So, you know, it's hard to think about as much in a pandemic as it, but when we come out of this, you know, can we close the, the women's prison and, you know, build culinary institutes and job training programs um, and, you know, facilities for women it, that would otherwise be incarcerated that don't involve locking them up. Um, eventually for men too, but, you know, we just have this, we've gotten our prison population of women down so much um, because we've realized in a pandemic, you know, what risk really means uh, that we, let's start to change the conversation through piloting different initiatives that really create those pathways out of poverty. Let's look at universal basic income and think about it for parents who are really struggling um, to take care of their kids in a pandemic while, you know, searching for, for jobs otherwise, when what they really want to do is start a business. Uh, you know, so how do we help people build wealth is really my focus. And how do we, in all of that, make sure that no one is left behind, that we advance um, data-driven equity solutions that really make sure we know what's happening and we can in advance policies that work for everyone. So for example, um, you know, we have, um, we were in the middle of the pandemic and you had social justice advocates and the NAACP say to the Department of Health, you know, we actually don't know the, the race data on the pandemic, what is actually going on. And now that we look at it, you know, at any given week in the state, the um, number of COVID infections among black Vermonters is eight to 10 times higher than white Vermonters. Um, and we didn't know that, you know, early in the pandemic. So if we're not collecting that information systematically, then we are not, um, we're not keeping people safe and we're not creating a society that works for everybody. So not only do we need the data to show us what's really happening in the state, but then we need to do something about it. And we need to advance culturally specific solutions uh, to make sure people aren't left behind. What's the key thing Vermont's gonna need to do to recover from the pandemic? That's a great question. I mean, you know, a lot of us are waiting with bated breath to see what happens at the federal level. I think we did our part trying to elect a new president. <laughs> Um, because I, you know, I was in the legislature um, in 2009 at the start of the Great Recession when our economy was in free fall. And so much of um, so much of what mattered was what people didn't see. They didn't see that schools didn't fall apart and that, you know, transportation projects didn't fall apart and that people didn't, you know, weren't, we weren't hemorrhaging jobs and, you know, um, budget dollars. We had the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act because at some point cities and states can't go this alone. And not only have we been going it alone in the pandemic, but we've been fighting with other states for PPE and for the kinds of supports that we need to take care of our population. We've been fighting a culture um, that says it's about me and not about us. And I think the most important thing we can do in the pandemic is recommit to one another uh, as a society and as a, as a civilization that, you know, my, destiny is bound up in yours and my health is your health and your family's health. Um, and so I think that takes leadership and resources and the ability to engage with our federal government in a way where um, we all remember we're one country and we're part of a global community. 
Okay. Well, Keisha Ram, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation this week. Thanks so much for having me, David. Keisha Ram is the newly elected state senator from Chittenden County. 